Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Okay, welcome everybody. Happy 4th of July weekend. Um, Brent has this week off, but the rest of us are holding down the fort here. So due to the fact that here in the States we're celebrating Independence Day weekend, in addition to sharing what we're feeling this week, we'll discuss America and patriotism and pop culture. So before we do that, let's introduce ourselves and tell the world what song screams America to you. Hey, I'm Lawson Soward. I'm an art director living in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and there's uh, so many songs that scream America in a really traditional way, but my favorite song that's like that is, uh, Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World. I'm Sandra Omstutz. I am a social media manager, also living in Nashville, Tennessee. And the first thing that came to my mind was 50 Nifty United States. It was a song I learned as a kid. And then you can have all the states, you learn all the states in alphabetical order. And I so, love that. yeah, it's stuck Great. in my head to this day. <laughs> Um, I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in the Bay Area, and the song that screams America to me would have to be Take Me Out to the Ball Game, because baseball yeah. reminds me of America. Ugh, I wanted to go traditional like you guys. I feel like maybe I messed up. No, nope. no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I, you, yeah. can't, you can't mess up what feels like America to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lucas. That's part of being an American. <laughs> <laughs> it's my right as an American to get that wrong and be okay with it. Exactly. <laughs> Um, well, every week we like to talk about something we've discovered or sometimes rediscovered throughout the week. So let's go around and talk about what we're feeling. Sandra, what are you feeling this week? So this week, um, I am feeling the Broadway musical, She Loves Me. Um, this was the first time in history that Broadway has live streamed a musical as it was being performed in New York City, um, a currently running Broadway musical. So that was really, really exciting to participate in. Broadway HD hosted the live stream. Um, I had to tune in right at, you know, like the time that it was going on live in New York. I had to sit through the intermission just like the crowd did. Um, And it was a really, really... It was really cool to experience that happening for the first time ever. Um, Lucas, you were part of, you also participated in this, correct? Yes. It was amazing. It was yeah. so much fun. <laughs> it, it was it was a blast. I will say, as let's, let's talk about technical first. Um, yeah. I was really nervous about what it was, what the technical experience was going to be, whether it was going to be like buffering throughout, whether I was going to be losing my place and missing scenes because mm-hmm. of buffering. Um, when, we first logged on, which I logged on about 20 minutes before showtime. Um, Same. And about 10 minutes before showtime, they had some um, video stuff going on. Interviews with cast members, interviews with people at Broadway HD. Um, and all throughout that portion, there were some really lagging buffering time, as well as every now and then we'd get an error message and you just have to refresh your page to start the stream all over again. Um, So that made me really nervous that that was going to be happening throughout the entire show. Um, But on my end, once the curtains went up and the show actually got started, I didn't have a single buffering or error issue. It was incredibly smooth. Was that the case for you as well, Lucas? 
mine mine buffered once more after the after the curtain went up and I had to refresh the page. But after that, it was completely fine. Was it wow, like pretty great. early on? It was very early. Yeah, the okay. curtain went up. They started the first song and then it it shut down and I freaked out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but as soon, but when I refreshed the page, everything was fine and everything worked totally. Right. So So one thing that I think helped this live stream was that She Loves Me is not um, super famous in non-Broadway circles or anyone who wasn't interested in the Tonys this year. Um, It's not like Hamilton or it's not like uh, a big production that people might have heard of for years, like Wicked or or even something even more old-fashioned like West Side Story. It's it's a fairly unknown show. So I think the crowds weren't as big as they could have been for a different Broadway show. Um, That being said, I'm really excited and I really hope that Broadway continues to do things like this. Um, Oh yeah. This was such a smooth first experience that I'm hoping they can grow from this one and offer it for even bigger shows um, and offer it more frequently, hopefully. Um, I just think it's so important to provide Broadway is such a tricky thing that has always just been for this elite circle that lives in New York city. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it is frustrating that if you are great in that it's exciting and frustrating, I should say that if you were great in that industry, if you were one of the best in the world at writing, creating and performing in musicals, they will all be happening in one, pretty much one place in the world. Maybe London, you could say two places in the world. Mm-hmm. And not to say that musicals don't happen everywhere else in the world, but the best in the business are all doing it in one place. And so that's exciting for the people that live there, but it's <laughs> frustrating for everyone else who, especially in this day and age where we can see that things are happening, but we're still not allowed to participate in them. And as someone who loves musicals, um, and can has never been able to afford to go to New York to see one. Um, this was just a really important moment for me. Um, so I really hope that this is something they look into doing more often because I think it would make a big difference in the lives of so many people throughout the country and probably the world who love this art form but don't get a chance to participate in it the way they would like to. I think so. So this this one being being their first one was it was ten dollars. You can stream it um, on your basically on your computer if you wanted to set up your like Apple TV or Roku device or something like that. Um, you had to be a Broadway HD subscriber, um, which I definitely think I would love to do if this is something that continues. This is definitely something that I just purchased a one off thing. Right. Um, but if yeah, if they're doing these, you know, like. Once every couple of weeks, we get we get a, we get a show that's actually on Broadway and get to see you know a fantastic cast. I would absolutely consider being a subscriber. Right, they have a library of past recordings of yeah. shows and plays. It's not a very extensive library. <laughs> I did not, look through yeah. it. There were a couple things I'd be interested in, but not mm-hmm. a ton because there yeah. it's a lot more plays and versus yes. musicals. Yes, um, definitely. I don't. Sorry, Lucas. I don't remember if you mentioned this, but I do want to point out that. Um, it only works on Apple TV if you have a, the most recent Apple TV. Correct. You're right. The the older versions, without the App Store, it won't yes. work yeah, on. You'll, you'll need the App Store. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, and I know that there are other streaming services like Broadway HD that do the same thing. They have a collection of past recorded plays and musicals that you can subscribe to to watch for a month. 
Um, my mom is a theater director, and she and I were talking the other night about how important a resource like this could be for her students who live in South Texas, yeah. who oh, yeah. like educating them about what different musicals have come and gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as someone who loves musicals, I feel very uneducated about that. Imagining someone who's just starting to fall in love with the art form, you know, I imagine they would feel so lost. And so, yeah, it would be be amazing if like we could find if we could have a really amazing service, you know, the net that is really, truly comparable to something like Netflix. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There definitely is something to be. I don't think anyone's saying anything against the the live experience of if you are able, uh, if you are fortunate enough or privileged enough to be in a spot where you can go and watch uh, a, one of these plays live on Broadway or whenever one of them goes on tour and if they come by near you, um, you know, seeing something, seeing theater live is like so uh, electric and, and, and incredible, but... I mean, there's a bunch of productions like, I mean, Hamilton and Book of Mormon and Wicked and all these things that, like, I was finally able to see uh, Wicked uh, on Broadway, but it was, like, you know, the fifth Broadway cast at that point. It was still incredible, but, like, I had waited seven years to see it. <laughs> and so I, there's so many other um, plays and musicals that it would just be, it would be an incredible opportunity um, to be able to to see those and to educate people who are interested in that kind of thing, and I don't think that it would take away from the live experience. Like it would still be a huge draw to want to go see that live. Well, my thing, as fun as it was to be participating in this live streamed event, um, that part wasn't very necessary for me. You know, that that was a little fun, but it, that didn't really add a ton to my experience of watching the play. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand, I feel like a lot of people in the theater world are so protective of the live experience. And I, and I understand why, but even just like a year long delay or a two year long delay, I would be fine with. If I could have a a library full of all of the hottest Broadway shows from two years ago, (laughs) I'd be so excited. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You know, if. You know, the fact that you still can only see Wicked if you're seeing a live performance of it is crazy for how long Wicked has been incredibly popular. Right. Like, there's there's supposed to be a movie version coming out. And for a lot of the country, that'll be the first time that you've been able to see it. Right. Which seems bonkers. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I hope I didn't misspeak here. I wasn't trying to say that, like... No, you didn't. I'm... I'm, Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I was just saying... um, it's not. I still think that live experience will have a huge draw, and that a streaming on-demand service would still have a big place. Right. So no, I, totally I agree. agree with what you're. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think of like, you know, not every musician can do this, but like a trend for a lot of major musicians is to go on tour and then maybe a year after the tour release like a concert documentary. Oh yeah. of the tour. That's exactly what this is, you know? Brilliant. You have people that are going to pay to see it live because that's how because there's a demand for that. But then you also have people who couldn't do that that still want to be a part of that experience. Who do we have to get on the horn? This idea has legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's do it. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of also, there being a demand for it, which sadly I don't know if there's a huge demand for a Netflix-like service in today's pop culture climate, but maybe there is, and we just don't know about it. Um, but anyway, um, 
So, I do, like I said, before we move on, I do want to talk about the actual show. Right, sorry for the yes. derailment. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, it's a, something I could talk about for a long time. Um, she Loves Me is, like, an adaptation of this play called um, Parfumery, and many different pieces of media have been have adapted this play. Um, the most familiar one to people is probably You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail was adapted off of a movie called Shop Around the Corner, which was adapted off of the play Parfumery. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and then She Loves Me is a, is a musical adapted off of the play Parfumery. And so they all basically follow the same story structure. It's about a man and a woman who don't really get along, but they don't realize that they have been writing letters to each other and that they've been sort of falling in love with each other through these letters. And it's about what happens when one of them finds out and then the other one finds out and, you know, love ensues. So um, I, you've got mail is my all-time favorite movie. So, of course, <laughs> I was bound to like this musical. Like, there wasn't really a world in which I wasn't going to enjoy this musical. Um, but I found it so incredibly lovely and charming. I laughed out loud throughout the entire thing. Um, the romance was great, but the romance wasn't the major draw for me in this show. It was really the humor. Especially the humor played by Jane Krakowski. Um, She, Jane Krakowski from 30 Rock, is just an immense talent. And in this show, she was constantly making me laugh. She she was probably my favorite thing about the show. (laughs) But that being said, there was an all-star cast. Um, We had Zachary Levi in the male lead. We had Laura Benanti in the female lead. And she is just a stunning goddess. (laughs) Um... I, I could and, and all of the supporting cast was really, really great as well, although I'm not familiar with any of them. Um, Zachary Levi was so charming and funny. I charming is the only word I can that comes to mind because that's all I was thinking about during this play. So he was I Tom think Hanks. It, I think no, I think he's Jimmy Stewart. I think it's the most Jimmy Stewart I've ever seen. Very much, be, so. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. The, the accent... <laughs> Lucas, what... <laughs> so, this... this musical is set in Budapest. So everyone has like names related to that area. Every everyone's names are things like Laszlo and uh Arpad and Yeah and yeah, yeah and so like Yeah Marzacek um, and like things like that. Right. But, <laughs> but everyone has an American accent, so But everyone has like different variation and, and that's fine. It, they never said it was set in Budapest, like in the play, I don't think. No, they don't. They don't say it's at Budapest, but they talk about things around them that are, you know, right around like Hungary. And, oh, did like, they the really? I didn't pick up on like that. that. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're all doing very like strange old timey. <laughs> like, I'm feeling hungry. We're all feeling hungry. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they're all doing like very strange old timey New York accents. It felt like. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but it wasn't super consistent. But that didn't bother. That was fine. You know, I I really oh, yeah. <laughs> mostly noticed it with Laura Benanti. Yes. Um, yeah. But that being said, it was still wonderful. Zachary Levi was just his his solo numbers. I thought were really, really sh- probably the strongest numbers in the show for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the date at eight, I think, was a favorite, as well as um, Jane Krasowski's, um her big number. I can't remember what it's called, but when towards the end of the show, you'll if you if you see it, you'll know. Um, and oh, and that being said. 
while we watched it live on Thursday night, um, no, Wednesday night, no, Thursday night, it was Thursday night, um, I believe they're keeping a recording of that that show um, up for the for seven days after that Thursday night. Oh, cool! So if this is coming out on Monday, then you have a couple of days left if you really want to log on to Broadway HD, pay the ten bucks to see it. You still have some some time to do that, and I would recommend it. It is worth the money. You know, it is a full length Broadway show, and for ten bucks, that is a steal. Yeah, ten bucks for like three hours. Yeah, and it is, right. and it is really, really amazing. Oh, this uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up was just that the set I thought was stunning. Yeah, it was it was incredible. It was a great, uh, great moving moving set that uh, that works really well. It it's reminded beautiful. me of like, um, not like a dollhouse almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's basically it's basically the uh, most of this takes place in the the shop where they work, and so they have an outside set of the shop, and then it kind of folds open like a dollhouse into like three sections exactly that can just open and close very like very much like a dollhouse. Oh, that was another thing is that it was kind of fun as a makeup addict. It was basically set in what was like an old timey Sephora, like (laughs) yeah, it's like a creams and perfume shop. Um, and that was really fun to see. <laughs> one th- one thing I will say is watching this um, filmed is you don't get to look wherever you want. And I'm used to like in a play, I can look wherever I want. But in this, it's not just like one wide angle that I'm staring at. I get like close ups and, um, you know, camera angles, which is kind of cool. But also there are just there were certain points in it where I just wanted to look at what the other characters were doing and kind of turned my head a little. And then I realized, oh, yeah, well, this is all I get. Right. <laughs> right. Is this one view. Um, and I think that really came to light in, um, I think, the biggest like chore- choreography number. Um, I guess it's near the in the I guess it's in the second half of the film. Or in the uh, the play, is it um, the Christmas? Every, the Christmas one, yeah, yeah. where every everyone's dancing around and everybody's moving at once, and whoever was directing the uh, the the feed was basically just cutting between kind of close ups of different characters. So that was, I mean, it was cool that you got to see like you know what what that person was doing. But in a number like that, you just want to see, you just want to take it all in at once um, of everyone dancing, everyone kind of in sync doing their doing their thing. Um, and in, in that number, basically every it's, it's counting down the days till Christmas and everybody kind of does the same thing except faster and faster as the days go on. Um, and that's something you just want to see. You just want a wide shot of the whole thing and everybody (laughs) just so you can kind of focus on, um, everything happening at once. So that's, that's one thing where, you know, it was kind of fun to be watching it live, but I do think that recording a show and then doing an epo- editing post, you know, mm-hmm. could benefit where yeah. you could ha- have a little bit more clarity and a little bit more, you know, take a step back to see, like, what does this scene really deserve um, versus editing in the moment where you're just kind of like, keep the camera on her and then her and then him, you know. <laughs> this, yeah. this might not be, uh, this might be a Venn diagram with nothing in the middle, but... Uh, this is reminding me of all these new headsets that are coming out, like uh, Oculus and the VR. Um, yeah, all of these VR headsets that are coming out for different home entertainment uh, stuff, and how this might be something that would be really well suited to that if they had one of those 360 degree cameras in one of the front rows for a dress rehearsal or something, and that way you could look and turn your head whenever you wanted, and that could, might be a premium experience. 
maybe no one in the world is interested in both Broadway and VR headsets, but <laughs> it sounds like for Lucas, like that might have been a really helpful thing. I mean, I think it, I think if the technology advances, definitely. Yeah. Um, where VR at is that currently? I don't know if, if it's the, only early adopters and well, yeah. and not even just that. I just don't think it's good enough yet to sure. warrant a sitting for three hours at a Broadway show <laughs> and experiencing it that way with this giant thing on your face, right? <laughs> um, and so, but like recently, um, the cast of Hamilton they did a video on Facebook that was using Facebook's 360 camera. Oh, that was just you know it was a, a short acapella version of one of their songs. Um, just as a little bonus feature. And so they're already kind of playing with that. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. That is, uh, that is She Loves Me. It's currently playing on Broadway. So if you're in New York, I would definitely suggest going and see it, seeing it. If you're not in New York, I would definitely suggest seeing it on Broadway HD. And it's up until July 7th. Sweet. Lawson, tell us what you're feeling this week. Yeah, so what I'm feeling this week is the new album from Blink-182 called California. Um, Yeah, mostly I'm just happy to have an excuse to talk about (laughs) Blink-182. I just have kind of a complicated relationship with Blink-182, which has become... Mine's complicated. (laughs) Well, it has become uncomplicated. This is, I'm letting this narrative unfold, so just strap in. So... (laughs) Uh, I just like I loved it. Blink One Eighty Two was the very first concert I ever went to. It was a, a show with Taking Back Sunday, Blink One Eighty Two, and Cypress Hill. Um, which, as like barely into high school kid, it was like seeing Cypress Hill on stage was very disorienting. But um, getting to see Blink One Eighty Two was incredible. They were so fun, um, and I just have loved their records for as long as I can remember. Um, but then, like, I, I feel like there's this phase. Um, right after, you know, you get into college or kind of, uh, post-college, or at least it was for me where I was like, oh, I want to get into a little bit more of, um, folk music or, um, maybe music that with more of a, you know, an Americana feel or, uh, some more hip hop stuff talking about like social stuff. I just kind of like my, my interests went in that direction. And so Blink-182 kind of started occupying this place in my heart where it's like, oh, that's something of nostalgia or... That's a guilty pleasure. Um, But over the past, I don't know how long, uh, it has been really, really nice to go from a place of, of like, reluctant enjoyment to full-on acceptance and actual pleasure. Like, it's not not a guilty pleasure. It's just, like, this is the best. Um, Always love, uh, I really, really love what... um, they're able to do in a three-piece band and uh the chords that i mean they know like five power chords and they're able to do all these amazing amazing things um (laughs) that really really speak to me i mean i listen to a lot of like hip-hop now and things that talk about like real social struggle um but i actually want to play a clip that from uh kyle kanang because i thought he said this so well about like this completely different kind of struggle uh, that comes from like living in the suburbs i think there's some credit uh, due to anybody that made it out of the suburbs because that's a creeping oppression that you don't realize. It's not a glaring, clear oppression. I mean, you grow up in the inner city and that's bullets whizzing over your head. You're like, I'm just going to join a gang and deal drugs and I'm going to get shot right in front of my mama's house. And that's how life is in the streets. But there's one guy like, no, I'm going to be a playwright and I'm going to take this story to Broadway and I'm going to make it. I'm going to get out of here. But you grow up in the suburbs and it's just like, well, we could drive around smoking pot, talk about that philosophy class that we took at community college. And... 
You know, if you keep ordering stuff at Denny's, they can't kick you out. So as long as we get, as long as we get like coffee, we get like coffees or French fries, we could just hang out there until like, holy shit, I'm 35. You know, you don't, you don't realize that's right there. So yeah, so yeah, ultimately I'm just like a suburban kid, but I mean that means that this music speaks to me and I really love it. Um, the new album uh, is with uh, Tom DeLonge is no longer there. He has gone off to start uh, writing books and doing speaking engagements about UFOs and aliens. So uh, like you do, like you do. Um, <laughs> uh, so I miss his like weird voice uh, in this album. I always like really, I really enjoyed his singing style, even though I have no idea where that accent comes from. I'm always all about it. Um, but so this new album has Alkaline Trio guitarist Matt Skiba um, in the place of Tom DeLonge. And um, honestly, while I was waiting for this album's release, I started listening, going back to and listening to 2011's uh, Neighborhoods, which was kind of in the, the thick of that time whenever I was only kind of listening to Blink as like a guilty pleasure every so often. So I really kind of missed that album when it initially came out. And it is so good. I mean, it's the three original uh, band members. Um, or the three most uh, perennial band members. Um, and it just has a lot of great different uh, soundscapes, and they explore a lot of new territory while still being true to some of their original stuff. Um, and it's really good. So if you go and you listen to this new album, uh, California, by Blink-182, and you don't like it, uh, maybe revisit Neighborhoods, because it's, it's really good. Um, I, I really enjoy California still. There's some clip. There's some songs in there that are the kind of songs that they haven't made in, I mean, decades. Just like really short, goofy, funny songs. Um, Tom DeLonge, before he went full UFO guy, was uh, trying. He did Angels and Airwaves and all these other side bands that got a lot more uh, kind of self serious. And it worked for me, but um, some of the like goofy silliness of a older Blink-182 kind of went by the wayside as a result, and this new album infuses some of that back into it. Um, so, I mean, it feels a little bit like Plus 44, uh, Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker's side project without Tom DeLonge, but uh, I understand why they're going full uh, Blink. I mean, if Tom's out, then Tom's out, and they can replace the the guitarist whoever they, with whoever they want. And it means they get to go on a tour and play all the fun Blink-182 songs. Um, and this album is just, it's really, really solid. It really holds up. It's not one of my favorite other albums, but it is very good. And I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I haven't listened to it nearly as much as I've listened to the rest of their albums. Um, so one song in particular from this new album that I really like, um, is a song called Bored to Death. So I just wanted to play a clip from that. summer record really works well if you've got your windows down driving down on a hot day uh blink 182 california check it out
Yeah, I I have not listened to this album, and I wasn't, like, a dedicated Blink-182 fan. I just knew, like, their big hits. Mm -hmm. But I was such a pop-punk kid in high school. Well, (laughs) I should say this. I loved pop-punk music, but I was never into, like, the concert pop-punk scene. Like, I wasn't embroiled in it, but I did love listening to it. And it's still, yeah, it's pop-punk music is so good, and people should listen (laughs) to it more. Yes. Um. I wanted to bring up really fast, Lawson, as a Blink-182 fan. There's this old BBC show that only lasted six episodes. I have a copy of it. I'll share it with you. Um, called um, It's called All the Small Things. And it's okay. about this um, British church choir that forms... Um, like sort of in competition with like the fancy church choir at its church, but they call themselves all the small things and they mostly do covers of like Blink-182 and All American Rejects. <laughs> what? It's, but it's like this really, really sweet like family show. And <laughs> guys, this show is like a little gem that almost no one knows about, but it's great. So that sounds so lovely. Yeah. I've never heard of that. That's so yeah. great. Uh, Lucas, you're with me on the, I remember I don't need to say I remember. Like, earlier this week, I was like, wait, you love Blink-182, right? Because I really want to talk about this. And you're like, yeah, I always love Blink-182. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's no end to my love for Blink-182. It's definitely <laughs> one, of the, one, one of the first bands that... One of the first bands that I was like, oh, I can play all their songs really easily. <laughs> and I looked at you, I was like, I don't even know how to play electric guitar, but I can just, I can just bang this out real quick. That's awesome. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm really excited about this album. I listened to... Uh, most of it yesterday. Um, haven't got a chance to finish it, but uh, it'll definitely be in my rotation this summer. So, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? Um, this week, I'm feeling the 2015 film "Hello, My Name Is Doris," starring Sally Fields. Um, have you guys have you guys at least seen the trailer? For I this? have, Lucas. I want to see this movie so badly, and I just haven't made it out to it. Uh, it it came out in 2015. I yeah, it came, I feel... it came out came out last year in selected. It came out here in San Francisco. Okay, last year. I don't know. I feel like when it was it showing here in 2016, but I don't remember which okay. months. And I didn't okay. make it out to see it, even though I really wanted to. Okay. Well, it just recently came out um, DVD and streaming. Um, and my mom was in town last week, and she is a huge Sally Fields fan. And being a huge Sally Fields fan means you don't get to see many films with her in it unless you're super into The Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man. But really, the last thing she did before that was like Lincoln. So she she really wanted to see it. So we we watched it. Lucas, sorry. I wanted. You're good. It's Sally Field. Sorry. Do I say am I saying Sally Fields? Yeah, I know. I do the same thing. Yes. Sally Field. Sorry. Um, So we so we watched it and it it was. It was charming. It was really just charming. Yeah. I mean, Sally Field does an amazing job in this role, and she, um, she's someone who has been around the business forever, um, and and yet hasn't really had a lot of leading roles, um, in films. She's been she's been great as you know the uh, the number two character or the uh, you know romantic interest romantic interest in some of her older stuff. Um, but this, having her kind of headline this movie, um, was a fantastic choice. It's directed by, uh, Michael Sh- Sh- ugh, Michael Sh- ugh, Showater. Michael Showater. <laughs> Why can I not say this? Michael Showater. My- oh, it is so hard. Showalter. I know. I know. Showalter. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Michael Showalter. Boom. Done. Nailed it. <laughs> um, who was a big part of, a. um, 
Wet Hot American Summer. Yes. Um, he's also and, uh, he's also going to be directing, or he has just finished shooting um, a movie called The Big Sick that I'm really excited about. Yes, yes. Um, when does when does that come out? Um, sometime in 2017. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He he's hilarious and amazing and he did a really good job this was i think this is his his first like feature film um that he's done i think i don't don't hold me on that uh but i think hello my my name is doris is his first feature film um but overall i think like it's a it's got it's got sally fields and then the uh the main guy is max greenfield um from new girl um fame and the um, I'm just going to read the summary off of IMDb. It says a self-help seminar inspires a 60-something woman to romantically pursue her younger coworker. Um, and basically that's that's what this is is Sally Fields ha- <sighs> Sally Field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sally 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 Field um, and just kind of her kind of pursuing this relationship with um, with Max Greenfield. Um, and it's it's really what what kind of really got to me and I talked to my mom about a lot about this when she was here was the relationship between um, her and the people of kind of the the younger generation in the 20s and 30s, um, I feel like everything that's portrayed about that right now is a lot of like a lot of anger, a lot of hostility between those two um, um, ages. And for the and in this one, there was just it was just really accepting. Like she makes she makes a lot of friends with people in their in their 20s and early 30s, and um, she's really kind of included in this um in in their lives and i feel like that's not something that that happens now and it's definitely not something that that's portrayed well at all and just everyone in this film is super nice and super great there aren't any bad guys in this movie at all everything is just it's just fantastic um and i feel like i feel like overall michael show watch it well ugh, i'm never gonna say that name again My, <laughs> michael the dir- good old mike michael the director you know him. <laughs> um he does a really good job of making this story not just kind of a it's not it's not a romantic comedy it's not really just a comedy it's not really a drama he does a really good job of kind of walking the line between um i just want to tell a great story and i want to tell something that you know fits into a a certain category um so i i definitely think it's something you guys should should all see it's a it's a great sweet little movie yeah i can't wait to watch it um it's so encouraging to hear lucas you describe it that way because there's nothing more boring to me than generation wars. I've, mm-hmm. And mm. I'm so turned off by that in any, in a conversation or in media. And so I'm excited to hear that this has such a more accepting approach towards like different generations spending time with each other. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I kind of originally thought it was going to be, Oh, you know, the old person in this new hip world can't do these things, but she teaches the young people about something that's old that uh, has value. Kind of, right. thing. I thought it was going to be like something like that, and it's it's really not. It's it's really great. So it's awesome. But yeah, I, f- I feel the same way. <laughs> to use social media terms, every influencer who I follow that influences me has said oh amazing things about this movie. So I'm stoked to hear it from, you know, your firsthand from you. That's. I am really looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. It makes me want to go home and watch it with my mom. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's I, I don't want to watch it this week. I want to, like, wait, almost wait till Christmas, but that might not happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is, this is this is a movie everybody's parents will love. Yeah. Oh, and good. That may, if that, if that turns you off to it, that, uh, 
so be it. But no, your mom's pretty cool. So I didn't know whether it meant that all moms it would be cool. So I'm glad to know that it's like a parent. Every every parent would love it. Yay, that's (laughs) awesome. So yeah, I would definitely have everybody check that out. That's hello. My name is Doris, and it's available on DVD and streaming. So since this since this podcast is coming out on the Fourth of July, um, we we definitely wanted to talk about we wanted to talk about America and and kind of patriotism in pop culture and kind of how we how we see that, what we like about it, what we don't like about it. Um, so for you guys, is there something that really stands out as like the most American pop culture thing that you've you've seen or that you just love? I guess we should get it out of the way at the beginning. And I think the <laughs> obvious thing right now is Hamilton. Um, I think it's a it's largely about the American experience and the Revolutionary War. So mm-hmm. it's very fitting to talk about on the 4th of July. Um, it's also about, like, you know, the people who crafted our country's, like, major documents so like and, and systems. <laughs> yeah. So, again, fitting to talk about on the 4th of July. And it's also one of the hottest things in pop culture right now. So, um, And it's hot in July. I, I see the connection. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously I'm obsessed with Hamilton. And I don't think I felt – I don't think anything in, in pop culture – political moments, anything has caused me to feel as patriotic as Hamilton has. Truth. I remember listening to it for the first time and feeling so much pride over our country <laughs> for something. And, and that is not a typical experience for me. So, um, yeah, you are usually not proud of our country at all. Right. I mean, yeah, very rarely. So, um, yeah. And so, but listening to this soundtrack has made me not only like feel patriotic, but also be so in, made me so interested in American history. Um, listening to the show has caused me to like research the lives of all these different founding fathers because <laughs> I'm emotionally invested in them. It's also kind of reignited my feelings of like what America should be. It should be a home for immigrants. It should be a place where like hard work is rewarded. Um, all those ideals are really embedded into this production and so yeah it is like the shiny example of what like patriotism should be in pop culture for me yeah and just like people who govern over the united states actually doing their jobs like having arguments (laughs) and getting together and being like oh we disagree about this but like let's talk about it um of course this is a rosy view of those people who are governing yeah totally (laughs) admitted (laughs) admittedly so um but you know it is an ideal that we could uphold yes I guess uh, in that same vein, uh, West Wing (laughs) is something that is a very rosy uh, view of American politics, but something that feels like an idealized, uh, something to aspire towards. Um, After uh, Facebook became just a place for all these social, uh, like, political wars back and forth, I changed my political views to West Wing because it's like, that's exactly (laughs) what I want. That's what I want out of the government. I just want President Bartlett. Um... And I mean, there is, I think there's really something to be said for these pieces of 
um, pop culture that kind of uh, distill this American uh, idealism um, and like an ever improving kind of noble uh, pursuit. I think of uh, West Wing, I think of films like Selma, I think of um, things that show America as being an imperfect place, but as showing that pushing for the American ideal and like what America should be being a very like almost perfect, it, it, but it's spe- it, the very least worthwhile pursuit in everything. And I mean, when Aaron Sorkin's writing about, you know, what America could be, it's always really inspiring. Despite his shortcomings as a, a, a person, he's an inspiring, inspiring writer. Um, especially on that subject. Yeah, I definitely feel like, for the most part, um, there are there are things that are trying to be patriotic, um, and there are things that are kind of naturally pa- patriotic, like West Wing, absolutely and Hamilton, um, and then that like. But as I said, like the things that are trying to be patriotic, like well, the Patriot, the movie, that we <laughs> <laughs> um, those things for me never kind of live up to that expectation of, you know, you know, we're, we're America, we are fantastic. We are, you know, we'll wave the flag. And, um, I feel like things that are a little too, I think forthcoming in their patriotism, Mm -hmm. um, feel, feel very fake. And I, I don't think, I know they connect with some people, but they just don't connect with me at all. Um, as much as the things like, like Jaws, Jaws is set on the 4th of July and, it's not a patriotic movie or anything like that, but everything in Jaws kind of ties around like, um, you know, uh, th- these these people doing their best in the situation that they have and, you know, sticking together. And it's it, it's, it is a very American, I think, film um, and set on the 4th of July, but it, it doesn't really kind of produce this um, – this patriotic feeling throughout the film. But to me, it feels very patriotic. This may be heavy handed because it's just the director and I'm grasping at straws, but it's kind of like, uh, the Patriot is to actual patriotism as the passion of the Christ is to Christianity. Like, I feel like there's these really heavy handed movies out there that do that. It makes me think of, there was this string of movies. I can't remember all of them because I never saw any of them. But every time I saw the trailer or a poster for it, I was like, I can't believe that's real. But there are these movies that were like funded by the U.S. military. Um, mm-hmm. the, one was called Act of Valor. Um, and all the actors in that were, were actually like Navy SEALs. And then there was one, yeah. one called Max that was about like this uh, dog. Af- yeah, about a dog, about an American hero dog. Um <laughs> who was in the military and I have never been able to connect with those. Those to me feel a little bit closer to the realm of, uh, I, I feel like propaganda may be, may be too strong, but I, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, they feel, they feel very, very forced and obtuse. And I, I just like, I'm, I'm not, whenever something is, comes out that much and says something, it feels like there's no subtext left um mm-hmm. and nothing to really like resonate with you yeah. for me anyway do you guys have a connection with movies like rocky or top gun or like air well i guess yeah air force one would be one like those those kinds of movies i feel like people end up really connecting with on like a fully like patriotic american level um do you guys feel that at all i have i think i've felt that with um movies like that but 
it's it's very different than something like a West Wing or something yeah. like a Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. You don't you don't come out of it like screaming America. Like. The, so the close <laughs> right. the closest I've ever come to that, and it's pretty different from those movies that you just listed, yeah. was yeah. Um, D two the Mighty Ducks. I, oh yeah. That is like <laughs> I think probably the first time I felt patriotism, even though it probably wasn't like a <laughs> like the a good example of patriotism. It's just yeah. you know like it's the same kind of feeling you get when you root for your high school team versus other mm-hmm. teams because it's us and not them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But rooting for, like, America in D2, the Mighty Ducks, was very powerful. Uh, <laughs> I love that they played against Iceland in that movie. It, yeah. it makes me think that the writers were like, oh, man, who would be so good at, I- at hockey? People whose entire land is ice. <laughs> Except it's not, as we find yeah, out in the movie. Yeah, people who have never yeah. been to Iceland. <laughs> they, that's the green. Iceland yeah, is green. Greenland Iceland. is full of exactly, ice. Exactly, exactly. Um, I do want to play a little clip from that movie right now. The various city-states waved their flags and wore their home colors proudly. Did America always dominate? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> no. America wasn't around back then. Okay. Don't forget that compared to other countries, America is still young, still forming its own identity. America is a teenager, just like you. Like us? You bet. A little awkward at times, but always right there on the verge of greatness. Oh, So that that's awesome. line has always stood with me, and it's a line that's kind of repeated in Hamilton, is that young, scrappy, and hungry. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're like a young country has always, um, I guess, warmed me to our nation, <laughs> um, and has always made me emotional. And so, like, that is a shining moment in a movie where I felt like I related to our country and felt patriotic. Yeah, I think there's something very patriotic about youth like there's some kind of golden uh vibe over all of it like i think of when you talk about that i think of the movie sandlot like it's such an american movie i mean it revolves around america's pastime baseball so that's part of it but there's also just this kind of feeling of like mm-hmm. uh i don't know like a, a summer there's something i every scene of that movie just feels like you could take it out turn it into a painting and like caption that painting america um and it has so much to do with uh, kids and a sense of uh, fair play and camaraderie. And um, I don't know. I just, I, I really, I've never connected uh, America and youth explicitly before, but I, I totally hear what you're saying, Sandra. I think that's great. And that's all we have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to talk about was like, is there like, is there a person like a musician or an actor or just someone who well I'll I'll, I'll give an example like for me when I hear Bruce Springsteen um I th- I think like he's like a kind of like a classic American like musical I mean he also sang Born in the USA but <laughs> like to me to me like when I think about Bruce Springsteen I think of like an American singer like that's that's just kind of like who he is to me yeah um even though I'm not like a huge fan of Bruce Springsteen but that's just kind of like what comes to mind is like this American icon um and is there anybody like that and it you know Lucas I'm having a hard time coming up with like a specific person to like fulfill that role mm-hmm. but you bringing up music did remind me of a very like literal um like reference to yeah. today which is martina mcbride's independence day yeah um <laughs> that's a song that i really really loved growing up and i still love 
Um, and I think it's so beautiful. And it's, I think it's also so interesting that she chose like this patriotic title to be a song about like domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like that, that really is, I think important to me that like we can use these, like metaphors for patriotism to describe aspects of life that are not just these golden youthful years or these mm. like proud moments of like America doing great things or, or trying to achieve great things. It's also just about like sort of like the darkness inherent and mm-hmm. trying to achieve like freedom from that darkness. I think that's something that, that overall country music and, em- um, kind of embraces a little bit more than than other types of music. Yeah. Um, they kind of they kind of go down that route a little bit more. Um, do you guys listen to country music at all? I used I, to growing up, but not a ton anymore. I have yeah. really gotten back into it lately. Um, Chris Stapleton um, mm-hmm. is a guy that has really come back onto the scene as part of this kind of. Uh, I, I mean, they call it Americana, but it, to me, it's like what country music was before bro country was out um so yeah it it kind of embraces the the good and the bad um of of life in very real ways and really fully embraces the fact that their story is influenced by their place um and that their place is in america uh so chris stapleton's that way um who else am i trying to think of here uh oh turtles all the way down what's his name sturgill simpson that's it so, uh, so yeah, him and Sturgill Simpson, um, the singers that are kind of like carrying on this American, uh, songwriter tradition in the country genre. I, I don't know. I'm just like, I really, it really hits home to me. It really feels American. I mean, when you ask the initial question, uh, Lucas, of who, what singer makes you think of America, it made me think of Bob Dylan right away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so like this kind of folk music that's so distinctly american um in its in its setting is something that i i have never had any problem being proud of like i mean i agree with america's like foreign policy right now but this music's still great (laughs) yeah and it's a far cry from toby keith's like put a boot in your ass the american way stuff right like that stuff that's just like ugly and makes all country music seem gross um there's some people out there who are doing really great stuff in country right now, I think. So going off the kind of the, the, the Toby Keith train, are there things like, like when, when I, when I hear that Toby Keith song, it makes me cringe a little bit thinking of other countries listening to that, sure. <laughs> that, um, and how arrogant and it is. But, um, are, are there pieces of media that, that are out there that like you listen to or watch or anything that you think like, yeah, this is like to other countries, this is what they should be like, thinking America looks like, or this is what America should look like to other countries who consume our media. <laughs> Can I answer every question with Hamilton? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's a hard question to answer because, like you said, like I think we're the primary media provider for mm-hmm. most of the world. Yeah. And so they have a pretty clear view. Like <laughs> <laughs> They know. They know what we are. Yeah. Like, they, it, it's not like they're only getting certain things from, like, yeah. I follow a lot of people online that live in Australia. Um, and, like, 
all pretty much all like there there are some things that only air in Australia, but like they mm-hmm. watch every single show that like I watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Entertainment yeah. is like our number one national export. But like they yeah. watch not just like the major. Like, they're not just watching like Mad Men or like the big things that make it here. Like they're yeah. watching like everything on CBS. Like everything right. that we right. come out with, oh, they wow. are consuming. You know? But yeah. But is there something that, like, you would point to and say, like, this is, like, this is, like, I know we've got all this, like, ridiculous media that you're consuming, and yes, like, I feel like they have a good view of what we are, but is there something that you would point to and say, like, this is, like, this is us, this is me, at least, like, this is what I want, this is what I would want other countries to take away from from us, even though they can see us and putting lipstick on a pig, <laughs> it's still a pig, so. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, feel, I, don't know. Part- I feel lame saying it, but, like, Beyonce, like, that, I want her to be our <laughs> yeah. shining example of, like, America, I don't know, um, yeah, that's a, it's a hard question because, like, I feel like you're asking us to say what is our ideal America versus what the real America is, you know, um, yeah. But I, I think there are parts of America that are ideal. Okay. And then there are other parts that aren't. Like, like to me, like, free. this is an older movie, but I guess, like, Free Willy seems like a real view of an American kid who goes to an aquarium all the time, I guess, or whatever. But um, but yet, yet it's still, like, heartfelt enough for me to be like, yes, this is America. This is a slice of America, I guess. Like, this is, this is real enough to be America, and yet it is... <laughs> Good enough that I would say yes. People, look at this. It's still, this is what we're it has right. free in the title, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I said Sandlot earlier. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is stuff that about that that is very, you know, is dated and intentionally yeah. so. But uh, the overall vibe of like just working, playing having a fun time with your friends and I mean Sandlot also has some realistic stuff about like a father figure that's kind of hard to discern what he feels and stuff I just I don't know I maybe that is maybe that wouldn't play to an idealized thing I just America is such a, a broad um it's such a melting pot and there's so much stuff across so many spectrums of what people experience here um mm-hmm. I would have a really hard time. I think I think Beyonce is a fantastic answer. Well, I'm having a hard time answering this question because, one, I don't like media that I feel like idealizes America. Sure. And two, most of, like, the media that is coming to mind that does do that in a good way is usually just about, like, young white boys. And so, yeah. like, it's not necessarily <laughs> right. representative. Sandlot has one black character and everyone is scared of him. Yeah. Like, that's not good. Right. So... So, yeah, Lucas, I don't know if I have an answer for you for this one. Yeah. So, basically, we're saying movies from 1993. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I would love to talk about the movie Independence Day um, because... We went this whole podcast without bringing that up, and you had to... <laughs> oh, we don't have to. No, I'm just... I'm joking. <laughs> but as the obvious choice for, like... Something to you talk know, about on Fourth of July. Yeah. Right. Oh, totally. Like, whenever Sandra said, I, I don't want to get too obvious, I was like... Independence Day right off the bat and then she went Hamilton yeah. and I was like oh she's much more sophisticated than me she's <laughs> <laughs> gonna go with this uh, popcorn movie but yeah. um, Independence Day is one of those movies it's like uh, watching a Christmas story on Christmas like every year at my family's house um, I didn't 
know that this was just like watching Independence Day is part of the deal. Um, and it's just like such a fun movie. And um, I love that there's this sense at the end of it that, um, you know, even though there is the kind of gross, like America saves the day, of course, because we're the best. Um, this sense at the end that like we're united as a whole world because we have finally realized that there are things out there bigger than us. And sure, maybe the idea that you're uniting because you have a bigger common enemy isn't great, but because you realize that all the stuff that separates you isn't that big of a deal, that's a good thing. I think that also comes up in uh, in Watchmen. There, uh, they portray uh, Richard Nixon as you know in the first of these, like "In God Bless America," and then at the end he says "In God Bless Us All." And I was like, "Oh man, that's so much better." <laughs> um, <laughs> so I I like that vibe to Independence Day, but also it's just like such a a fun movie and. I don't know. I wanted to talk to you guys about it because the sequel from everything I hear, like my brother saw it. He told me it was awful. Like it was just the worst. Um, But this original, I think, is a really kind of dumb, fun blockbuster that has like some character development beats that really, really work, even though some of the plot holes are pretty big. Um, Did you guys what what's y'all's experience with Independence Day and how does it relate to your experience of like what it means to be an American watching a movie like Independence Day? Um, I never saw it. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you're not an American, right? Nope. That's how that nope. works, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a traitor. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, I saw it because I am an American. <laughs> um, but no, I, I so I do not like disaster films. Um, but it took me a while to figure out that Independence Day just is a disaster movie. Like tons and tons of people die and it's basically about like saving the world from from utter destruction as as it is being destroyed um and overall i'm not i'm not a big fan of those movies but i think this one just came together in just the perfect way that um it is fun it is exciting it's not you know it's not a disaster movie that is you know terrifying and um and you know sad and trying to pull your heartstrings the whole time um it is about just just a couple of dudes trying to save the world um, in a in just a fun way, and so I, I it's definitely it's definitely obviously the iconic you know Fourth um, of July answer for for everything, but I I do feel like it's 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 something that uh, it's something that not only I enjoy but I enjoy discussing and talking about and um, and watching with other people for sure. Yeah, it's one of those movies where like the speech that President Bill Pullman gives at the end before I had. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie came out in late 90s, mid 90s. And so I had no exposure to, you know, actual impressive speeches or like very much good writing at all. And so I thought that speech was like one of the best things that had ever been written. And (laughs) it made me so proud to be American. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so inspirational. And now it feels like, you know, kind of a, I don't know, if if that is the most inspirational thing you've uh, ever heard at this point, I would feel kind of bad and would love to lend you some movies um but uh it's just it's such a a fun flick and um i think when you're talking about it it just being like a disaster movie i completely i agree and i think that's part of why this new sequel sounds like it fell so flat was because not only was this a disaster movie but it was kind of it was among the first of its kind um and having this kind of scope and it did it in a way that was really like 
uh, kind of crazy for people to see like the White House blowing up. They had to use uh, miniatures and actual explosions and all this stuff and stuff like that had never been seen before. It was before 9-11. It was before all this stuff. And so seeing that was just like really earth shattering. Um, I did not mean to say that pun wise, um, but <laughs> it was uh, like a huge thing at the time. And uh, I think a lot of disaster movies that have come after that have really, you know, everything's made into computer now and they don't take the time like Independence Day did to set up all the characters in a way that you care about. And so all the destruction just feels like destruction for destruction's sake. Whereas in that movie and, you know, in part of being released in that time and place, everything, even though it was kind of a destruction movie, everything felt so high stakes, um, mm-hmm. which is something that I miss a lot in movies with, you know, city destruction and stuff now, which I, I agree with you, Lucas, are not are not my fave. Um, but one last thing about that that I remember offhand was uh, there were theaters, and I, they don't really do this anymore, that were showing every screen was showing Independence Day. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah? Yeah, I remember hearing my family talk about it, about how there were entire, like, cineplexes where every single screen was Independence Day because they couldn't sell enough tickets. Um, <laughs> like, it w- or not because they couldn't sell enough tickets, but because the demand was so high. Um, yeah. And it's just, I mean, it launched Will Smith uh, onto a whole new level of stardom, and I don't know. It's It's so funny to me that it was just kind of this, movie that came together so perfectly and didn't have any existing stuff behind it it wasn't a franchise it wasn't a book or anything it just was this amazing kind of singular blockbuster thing um that according to its box office results this past weekend should have stayed singular so yep (laughs) (laughs) awesome so that 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 wraps us up there um so as you go out and enjoy your hot dogs and hamburgers and uh this weekend let us know what your what your favorite American media, whatever that tugs at your heartstrings is. Yeah, what did we miss? Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I know there's a lot out there, so definitely, definitely let us know um, what we're what we're missing on the, on these lists. So, uh, where can where can we find you today? You can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. It's my last name is spelled A M S T U T Z, and I will be posting our Fourth of July celebrations on Snapchat. You can find me on all social platforms at Lawson West. Uh, if that name isn't registered, that means I don't use that social media. But feel free to uh, reach out and say hey. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Lucas and Stuff. Um, I will be probably tweeting pictures of hot dogs and hamburgers for sure. Absolutely. And go follow our podcast Twitter account at Feeling It Pod. Yep. All right. Adios. See ya. Bye. Later. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 